This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But uh, can you guys hear my kids screaming? Nope. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer. writer but... With us today is Juan Martinez. Juan is a fiction writer. He was born in Bucaramanga, Colombia, and has since lived in Orlando, Florida, and Las Vegas. His work has appeared in various literary journals and anthologies, including Glimmer Train, McSweeney's, Triquarterly, Conjunctions, National Public Radio Selected Shorts, Norton's Sudden Fiction Latino, Short Short Stories from the United States and Latin America, and The Perpetual Engine of Hope stories inspired by iconic Vegas photographs. Juan, thanks so much for being with us. I'm so happy to be here, man. Awesome. So do you have something uh, to read for us today? Yes. So I'm just going to read a scene from a story that I, the one story that I did not to get published this year, which is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to set it up or anything. I think it's fairly self-explanatory. It's early on, uh, but uh, so the story is called uh, Trumbull, like the, the school. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and start. Dawn was back at work. I was taking care of Alba. It was my job to feed her in the early morning, usually around two. I fed her, fell asleep, woke up 10 minutes later. Alba cried, a thin cry, a powerful, the kind of sound you'd hear from a pterodactyl. I checked the clock. She had just been fed. Everything okay? Don asked. I said, our baby doesn't like that our condo is haunted. The baby doesn't like that we're gentrifiers, Don said. I'll get another bottle, I said. Alba wouldn't eat. I wanted to take her temperature, but her skin felt fine, not hot. She was just up. She wanted to let us know that she was up and alive. It was like a fever, Alba's life force. It fled into everything. Ever since she'd been born, every building, every wall, pretty much any object I encountered felt too alive, particularly at night. I moved her out of the bed and into the living room so Dawn could get back to sleep. And so it was a shock when I turned and Dawn was behind me, arms raised, ready for her daughter, let me, she said. 
you need sleep. I said, I handed her Alba anyway. Maybe Dawn could keep her happy, chill her out. They had a special bond. I could go back to bed. It was only when I was putting the bottle back that I noticed the chalkboard. I wouldn't have seen it otherwise because the fridge was mostly, the fridge mostly obscured it, but the dark of the night and the harsh blur of light from all our chrome appliances through this one sp odd spot of light uh, between the counters into relief, I shoved the fridge a little. Our baby cried. Dawn asked what I was doing. The baby wouldn't latch. I wouldn't answer. I didn't know what I was doing until I did it. This is a school, I said. Was, I mean, we are in a school. No way. Dawn kept her eyes on the baby, but the baby looked at the dark of the window at the faint outlines of our reflection. I pointed, that's a chalkboard. They didn't even drywall over it. They would have told us, Dawn said. It's an older condo, I said. They probably told whoever owned before we did and whoever they bought it from, I bet you can find it online. You could, I did. Our condo had been a school 10 years before we arrived, a small experimental middle school that didn't work out, which explained the odd layout, our own narrow windows, that unusually generous common areas, plus the feeling that we were perpetually late for everything and that something was due any minute. It was my chief memory of my middle school years back in Colombia. This perpetual low-grade worry, the sense that I wasn't late, not yet, that I better hurry, that there was homework due that I didn't even know about, that I was going to get into so much trouble. It must have been the same for the children who went to school here in my kitchen. The building remembered and kept worry in its walls. My daughter was robust, no ear infections, no fevers. I waited in dread for the first serious sickness, the first serious accident. I worried about our neighborhood's health as well. I saw two flats converted into single residences, lots turned into fancy houses. Worse perhaps was seeing what was happening to the local businesses, the feminist bookstore, the interior design shop that sold mostly taxidermy, the Swedish bakery that everybody got cookies from, the Swedish deli that nobody went to, the head shop, the terrible Thai place, all the businesses were closing down, but the rent was going up, which made no sense. You know, it's our fault, I told my wife. Partly our fault, anyway. It might have been the other way. It might have been her telling me, Alba kept us perpetually confused, and we were still in the fog of feeding and sleeping and feeding and mostly not sleeping. I forget who said what, but anyway, she was right, or I was. All the small business closures were partly our fault. We were driving up property prices, which we agreed was like good, like <laughs> clearly bad, but also a little good. <laughs> and anyway, it wasn't like we were gentrifying the place. Andersonville was already gentrified. And anyway, we had to live somewhere. The baby needed a roof over her head. And so here was our roof. And so what? If it was a school once, people needed schools, sure, but they also needed houses. Alba stopped crying. On the window, I spied what she had been looking at all along. And it wasn't us. A gray face hovered just below the moon, its smile fixed. 
I wanted to make a sound, but in my fear and in my panic, I kept still and brought my child closer. And it was only then that I realized that the face was her Thomas the train toy reflected <laughs> on the window. We left Thomas on top of the microwave. It had been a gift from her grandmother, this large unwieldy thing that she absolutely loved. The condo was blessedly quiet, but for the hum of the AC, it was such an unexpected blessing to have central air. It was August, the worst of the Chicago summer, which we had mostly dealt with before, like you did with the winters, by remembering that the seasons eventually ended. All you had to do was live through them. Anyway, the condo is not haunted. I said, I was just kidding. But Dawn was already asleep, and so was the baby, and so was I, pretty much. And I couldn't really remember if I actually said this or not. I had been in the kitchen thinking of all the children who had passed through this room and remembered being a child myself, running to class, backpack clattering after me. I remember telling the kitchen goodnight. And the next morning, Dawn had to go back to work. And so it was just me and the baby. I'll just leave it at that. Awesome. I loved it. Where love can it. people read the rest? So it's in Shenandoah and it's online. So, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, the Thomas the Train's face is very creepy. So oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> especially reflected back in a window, I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> Being truly terrified by that. Juan, do you typically build short fiction starting from personal experience and then kind of extrapolate outward or how do you go about putting together a piece like that that clearly has some autobiographical nugget yeah i usually i usually work from the the light stuff and then start seeing what where it can go off the deep end a little bit and mm -hmm. yeah but but I, I these i've been working on a series of stories like the last two years and they're all sort of like starting with like heavier heavier even heavier than usual just like like life <laughs> mm. yeah how does it feel to to write that kind of stuff i mean do you feel because alex and i were kind of talking about this yeah. uh a little earlier i texted him that i had spent the past two days writing some very dark <laughs> very dark things and um you know, how does it feel to sort of go there? Oh, man. So I think that one of the ways in which it feels comforting is that in the, at least for the last couple of stories, it's, uh, it's kind of allowing me to go like, like I'm kind of dipping into like really weird, stupid fears and by sort of writing them down and it's kind of comforting. I don't know, like there's a, I was gonna ask, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, it, I guess it should be more worrisome than it is, but because it's so close and then I just start changing like little things, mm -hmm. then I can tell myself that it's not really as close to the bone as it, it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, how about you, Lindsay? I mean, how do you and, and Alex, how do you all navigate this? I know that. Yeah. I think um, 
I have tried in the past to avoid going there and it eventually comes out anyway. And um, I remember reading in um, Alexander Chi's How to Write an Autobiographical Novel. He said, and this might've been advice he got from someone else, but he said, the first draft of anything is, is only the story that you're telling yourself. So you're just telling yourself the story. And then, you know, the revisions come later when you can form it into something that other people can read. Um, and it has allowed me to feel like, okay, you know, I, for some reason, I have to write this as it's coming out. And Alex yeah. asked me something interesting when I told him, you know, I'm, I'm writing some really nasty stuff. He said, well, does, do you think it's actually nasty or is it just nasty to you? And I mean, it's hard to say right now, but it is interesting. There have been some scenes that I have written and, and, and have put away and have come back to and felt like, oh, <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't so bad. Or, you know, that wasn't as close to, you know, what I thought I was writing as, as, you know, I don't know. I, I think you have to kind of get it out there, tell yourself yeah. the story and then, and then just change two, two, two to three things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I had the experience one. I, I, I typically with short a lot of times with short fiction do what what you described you know start start with something that is pretty close to autobiography almost and then I just kind of move outward and like you you said off the deep end and that's that's pretty much what I do except sometimes I you know I don't even get in the pool I'm still just it's just my actual life and then I had the experience last year of reading reading one of these stories uh you know, in in front of an audience for the first time, and everyone afterwards was like, "Oh my god, I really like the essay. Thank you so much." You know? and, <laughs> oh my and, gosh! And oh. and then you and I had the thing where you know you're, you're almost too embarrassed to say, "Oh no, that's actually a uh, short story. That's fiction." It's like, all right, it's I'm fiction just move based on. on something that happened to me. Right, okay. Right. <laughs> oh man, I had a conversation with my agent recently, and he was he was like trying to delicately and deftly be like, this is your life, right? <laughs> he was like, you know, this is, he, because he was, he, you know, he, he liked it and, and, you know, he was just trying to talk about it, but he was also aware of, okay, well, this is <laughs> like, this is you, right? So, <laughs> and I wanted to be like, no, I'm an artist. Okay. <laughs> well, if, if people aren't willing to talk about language or, what the story is up to or any of that the only way into a conversation sometimes is like, yeah. did this really happen to you i exactly. mean that's so i, I understand it as it's a good. yeah it's fine yeah. it's fine it's, it's a legit fine. question too right it but, is uh, it is yeah so one of the ways that i i'm sorry Lindsay, go ahead no please you go oh i was gonna say like the other thing that's really helped me is that i i kind of set up like really stupid formal constraints for like the new pieces mm. uh, Ooh, and like so, what? So, like, all of the new stories uh, have to be set in Chicago. That's, like, one of the rules. Thank mm. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the other one is every story has to have, like, an app, like, prominently featured in it. Oh, whoa. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's, like, again, it's kind of like, A, a distancing device, but also it's, like, me legitimately trying to again do the thing that i thought i was too cool to do which is like to like do therapy on myself on, mm. like 
like why am I on Redfin for you know like this was the <laughs> so the Trumbull one is like about like obsessive real estate you know mm-hmm. checking totally. like, yeah uh, do you think that becomes I'm sorry to change to to, no, no, to sort it. of veer but do you think obsession with real estate and Redfin and and Zillow and all that comes when you start having a family where you start oh God, envisioning yeah. like yeah perfect home for Okay, I'm, I'm just glad I'm not alone. <laughs> no, no, I think that's like a, a rite of passage, right? Like you're, mm. uh, like, because I, like, we, like, we don't have a in in, <laughs> in Andersonville, we're in Edgewater, we're a little bit further north of, in, in Edgewater, mm-hmm. and we bought it, uh, and I kind of dimly remember looking at the school districts, mm. but not really. Oh, right. yes. Oh, yeah. I am so with you. Yeah. And I mean, we love uh, the, the school experiences that you know, our kiddo has had, but like it's a, uh, yeah, no, like it's like, I think it's like kids, you know, children and real estate just sort of like it all kind of, uh, it becomes part of the same, the same thing. And like, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it feels like it's something you can control. A little bit. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Kind of, right? or you think, I mean, yeah. And that's, it's a, it's a way to, uh, I mean, we just recently moved to the suburbs for this exact reason. I mean, yeah. it's just, or deeper into the suburbs. And where, where in the suburbs are you, Alex? So we're in Downers Grove right now. We Ooh. were, we were, which is, you know, it's a Southwest suburb. And so, yeah, I mean, and, but, but really, I mean, what you're saying, Juan, that they kind of, it's kind of a way out of the conversation actually in, mm-hmm. in a strange way where if I really don't want to talk about like, Oh, why'd you guys move out here? Or, or why'd you get, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, schools, you know, it's, you can say that and people just accept it at face value and you don't really have to say anything else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have kids. Oh, okay. Say no more. Yeah. Oh, no more. okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> and really. I think honestly, they, I think that's like one of the most sincere say no more. Like, I, yeah. Don't, don't right. please don't go for don't go on with this mm-hmm. yeah man i love how deep we are into chicago land talk right now yeah i know what's this little geography lesson lesson for everyone oh yeah we're like alex kotlowitz over here <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry, i was the... gonna go deeper into that i was gonna say like our calico dream house barbie scenario <laughs> is uh highland park right now oh, oh yeah. it's so nice there yeah, oh, yeah. The, right next to it is fort sheridan is that what yes. it's called We've been yeah. elevating over that place. I mean, it's impossible to get into and we could never afford it. But if, if anyone is obsessed with real estate, Google Fort Sheridan homes because they're amazing. Yeah. You said that you were um, forcing yourself to set your stories in Chicago. Yeah. Why, why is that? Do you feel like you've sort of leaned on another setting in the past? or? Oh, so actually, that's, uh, yeah, that's quite the, the phrasing. I think I a bunch of stories started coming out and they're all Chicago stories. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I said, Oh, I should just keep doing it. But it, it ended up, it is the easiest of the, of the three sort of like formal limits that I've set myself for the, mm-hmm. the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not, it's, it's super easy. I mean, I love Chicago. I love what Chicago makes me feel mm. <laughs> in some ways. Uh, and I, I love the fact that I can't 
wrap my hair that you know that I'm been here since 2013 I mean I've been in Chicago since 2013 2011 I can't even <laughs> time doesn't exist anymore yeah, time fine. doesn't exist anymore right but like it's been a while and 2013 it's been since 2013 and I I still can't wrap my head around the city like mm-hmm. I can do neighborhoods like yeah. I understand yeah I mean anyway it's Yeah, I think, you know, like psychologically, and I want to talk about this one. Um, psychologically, I always default to writing my stories uh, being set in Central Florida, because that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And um, and only recently have I, you know, because like when I'm thinking about a home, I'm thinking about what a home, the home that I, you know, grew up, you know, like a, a ranch house in a blistering subdivision. Um and now only recently has it been, you know, oh, okay, there's like snow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you can't smell like orange blossoms or, um, or whatever. Um, but speaking of Central Florida, I had no idea that you got your master's from the University of Central Florida. I did. And I got my undergraduate there and I took some master's classes in creative writing before I moved to Chicago in 05. Um, like that. So we know, I mean, we would have had like Susan Hubbard and yeah. Jeannie Leiby and yeah. yeah. Oh, I had Jeannie Leiby. Yes. Jeannie Leiby. Um, she was like, you are good at writing imagery, but you are not good at plot. <laughs> <laughs> Jeannie Leiby, who was an amazing writer and professor, God rest her soul. Yeah. Um, yeah. She would just tell you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> no. So like, uh, I like, Orlando was like where I landed when I came from Columbia and I lived there for 10 years as an undergraduate student and I would work the computer labs and uh, because you could actually get like this automatic work visa like after you finished your undergrad I Mm. worked I worked a full year of the computer labs and then went into the master's and then did a, a full year at the computer labs at UCF like right after that yeah did you feel like your impression of it changed after you left that region? Or- oh my God, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think I, I really, and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to make 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 sure it doesn't sound like naive or, I don't know. So I really did think Orlando was the U.S. Mm. And in many ways, it is. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, because I, mm-hmm. I immediately after that I went to Las Vegas, right? So it was like two places. <laughs> what that a were journey! Like, <laughs> oh my God, one. Yeah. So like, I still remember like I. Uh, Orlando is the Vegas of the US, Florida, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my God, it's so yeah. Like I still remember like when I went to uh, actually Lexington, Kentucky, for the first time with like my girlfriend at the time who you know would be my wife later uh she would like make such fun of me because i would like she would take me to their like they have this really great uh co-op here we're actually in kentucky right now for oh cool uh, oh okay yeah uh but like i remember like i remember like being so blown away by the co-op like like, it's like, oh, what? And like, I'd never seen like anything that wasn't a Publix, right? Oh, and, uh, I miss Publix. Even though I love Publix and they have the best subs. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just a great supermarket. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know I get my husband makes fun of me because um, like when we drive, when we go into the suburbs, which we, we tend to do a lot with our kids yeah. um, and there's all those chain places out there. I start getting really like nostalgic. I start being like, mm. oh, my people, you know, like, yeah. oh, there's a Buffalo Wild Wings. There's, you know, like, oh, it's just like, I feel so at home. No, I <laughs> tell you, and also like, again, if it's like you land and this is home, I mean, or like you are born into it and this is what it is, it's, it feels like deeply, I mean, I still remember like that moment of just like weird, slight, like cognitive distance. So, uh, Lindsay, do you remember like the MZN Theater? Of course, yeah. Yeah, just, just beautiful. So they had like a, a Buca di Pepo, like right next to yes. it. Yes, oh, I remember. Yeah. I've, I've eaten there many, many a time. Same, same <laughs> here. And then I went to Las Vegas and I landed and like right next to the, like the horrible hotel that I was staying at, like right before my lease started, there was a Buca di Pepo. Oh. And I was like, wait a minute, there's like two of them. <laughs> oh and my God. It's like I never, like it never dawned. I mean, and it, it, like it never dawned on me that like that that place was a franchise because like the NCN isn't a franchise, right? So, like, right. Yeah. Now I I've um, finally I think let go of my obsession with Olive Garden, but oh, I so good. I yeah like I <laughs> I truly and non ironically loved it and and felt like borderline fancy eating there. And so special, and yeah. I know, and I like I can still smell like the freezing cold air conditioning, and like garlic, you know, like. Yeah. And I mean, we have one. It's so funny because I sort of gave up on it right as one was built in Chicago, like it's a mile that one from down my Addison, house. right? Yes, which is so close yeah, to right by the highway, right there. I could walk there if I was yeah. super oh. motivated. Um, and I and right around then I was like, I think I'm over it now. But it took me a good twenty. 25 years yeah. <laughs> i don't know what it is i don't know what's more american than tour of italy from all it just <laughs> it truly is when you're here your family you know that's right yeah. that's right one you said oh oh, oh so we both sorry. said one so we gotta do rock paper scissors right that was yeah. the agreement okay, okay. you have ready? to it's the honor system yeah okay ready rock right. paper, paper scissors, scissors shoot. shoot i got a rock i have scissors so you go okay um I think in your bio, I omitted the fact of your book, uh, oh, Best yeah. Worst American Stories, which I really wanted to talk about. I was telling Lindsay, it's it's a short story collection that I particularly love because it's so varied. And, you know, there, even though the title might lead you to believe that there's some super strong thematic link throughout the whole thing, my experience of reading that book was like, I was so surprised story to story. And that's my favorite thing in a short story collection. So yeah. I, I, I definitely wanted to bring that up and thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, so what was the experience of publishing with, with small beer press and, and working with Kelly link and all them? They were a dream like uh, both Kelly and, uh, and Gavin Grant, her husband are both incredibly lovely people and also just like cheerleaders. Like you get like, I think like the when they send the contract also send chocolates and they, uh, there's this weird prize that uh that comes out of Dartmouth that the book won but like oh, cool. uh, I had no idea that he entered like the book in there for the for it but then uh it was in you know New Hampshire 
but uh, Gavin actually drove. I mean, I know that's the Northeast, right? So like every state's like I don't know, tiny and and stuff. But he drove to to the ceremony to say hi and and everything. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah. So they're just really. I mean, I think like the the other thing that I'll say about like that experience is that I, it's a like. So best worth of, like the stories are weird and they're you know they have their own like misshapen forms and they're you know you know I, I really love them but they're weird they're like really you know yeah. they they you know and they're all over the place they don't really it wasn't really meant to be like a you know a connected connection and connected collection in any way totally uh, so I I remember having this like this sort of the, the sinking feeling of like people there's a bunch of people who actually just buy like small beer small beer press books just because it's you know small beer press and they just like, love that uh maybe it's like all right this is the one book that's gonna like really disappoint the people <laughs> oh. who read you know <laughs> that's something that you believed well that's something that i believed and then i was talking to like sophia samatar who's an amazing weird wonderful writer of like science fiction and fantasy and her books came out with a uh, small beer and she was telling me that's like literally the exact same feeling. Mm. I, I am fascinated by that because I, I tell myself all those same things. Wait, was I talking over you? I'm sorry. No, no, you weren't. You weren't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I, I come up with all these things about my stuff too. And then I start to believe them as if they were told to me. And then especially with something like that, where it sounds like you felt like you were taking a chance, right? Like yeah. it felt like, like you couldn't quite define it. So then you worried that other people would do it for you. I'm, I'm now I'm putting words in your mouth, but that, that, that weirdness of like deciding, uh Oh, people are going to be disappointed or I mean, what is that? Why do we do that to ourselves? It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's just part of, uh, I can't even remember where I heard this, but like somebody had like a really good analogy for just like the magic of writing in general. And it's like, you know, we're just a bunch of weirdos who just keep having conversations in their heads uh, with <laughs> real people, like real conversations that you're having with people that like maybe don't even know you that well, but mm -hmm. you've been talking with them in your mind. Uh, and then when you you know, when you start writing, like you kind of start seeing traces of those conversations. And yeah. I think that's like maybe the problem with writers in general is that we can't not stop having those like, <laughs> conversations. Uh, maybe, I don't know. It's true though. I mean, I feel, I feel like I know you better than I do, Juan, because I've read your book and because in some ways, you know, I've been in conversation with those stories and even though I think we've only met in person maybe three or four times, it's like, oh, Juan's my buddy. Yeah, I know Juan. Like, and it, it's that familiarity too with what you're saying. I think so much of that has has become a lot more obvious to me during the pandemic. That like, I think if you would have asked me pre-pandemic, like, oh, or you know, do you have a lot of friends that are that you're close to that are writers? I probably would have kind of said, ah, probably not. But I've really wanted to seek out more writers and speak to more writers during this time because I was like, God, I miss, I miss having conversations with people who really, I don't have to explain that aspect of myself to, they just kind of 
they understand it. They understand those conversations that are running, you know, in our, in all of our heads, like you're saying one, it's, yeah. it's true. Yeah. And I think also like it can be easy to convince yourself that other writers who you admire don't, don't feel like this, mm. you know, but they mm-hmm. do. And they, you know, they feel their own weird things. And it's, it's really fun to hear those. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, good. I don't have to, like for a long time, I was convinced that my editor at FSG only published me because she felt sorry for me. Oh, I'm... <laughs> and I remember telling that to Laura Vandenberg um, and someone else. And they were like, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. Because <laughs> we had the same editor. <laughs> and I was like, wait, Laura Vandenberg feels that way? What? And it's very cleansing. Yeah. So my variation on that is not just only that they feel sorry for me, uh, but that they have convinced themselves that I'm actually a really sweet person. Oh. And so that is, that's not just, so they like, we can't not do it because it would be really sad. It would make them sad. Right. Like, and like complete we'll strangers. We'll only print right? like three copies. Okay. And you won't know. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody once yeah. three copies, please. Three copies. Oh my goodness. I think that's like a plot point actually in like uh, Martin Amos's The Information. Oh, really? Yeah. Like oh, at the end, that. they only publish like one copy of the book and it's the one that he's holding and oh, walking around oh. with it. Yeah. <laughs> that rules. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, one is enough in my opinion, you know, just just so I can tweet about it. Sure. That's it. That's it. So I can tweet post that it, publisher's... My cat and, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Juan, my question was going to be you. So you said you, you managed to publish one story this year. Yes. What is your like writing life like? What is your submitting life like now that so, we're in a pandemic and your child is with you and you're in Kentucky? So we figured out a good rhythm and I'm, I'm very, very lucky because like, uh, so I teach at Northwestern, uh, had to teach only one class this quarter and then I'm not teaching for spring or winter. So I have oh, wow. like a best possible circumstances. I mean, that said, I think like uh, the only way we've been able to figure out like a way that keeps everybody in the house sane is to do, uh, I'll do full-time childcare Tuesday and Thursday and Sarah will do full-time childcare Mondays and Wednesdays. So it's a, uh, uh, so that means like usually Mondays and Wednesdays are the times that I have time for, for anything. So I've been able to write uh, that's great yeah mm-hmm. but it's not it's really i mean and i'm I'm completely fine with it this is actually something that i know is going to be okay it's very sloppy mm. yeah and it's uh i'm doing even more than usual i used to do uh, a lot of handwriting and then move to the, the computer and now i'm just doing everything by hand and just letting it mm. just letting it build uh, wow. Little by little, but it's it's you know it's it's dribbles. It's not a you know. There's I think I have like 15 pages of groundhogs just because we have like <laughs> these incredible groundhogs that are like all over us. I have well, been you, following that on your Instagram, and yeah, I don't I know why say. I didn't yeah. know you weren't in Kentucky. Why did I think that was happening in Chicago? But there's no, there's, you know, it would have been like bunnies. I think yeah, Chicago has good bunnies. Uh, yeah, there's like one groundhog in particular that's like that's a catty corner to us. There's a Taco Bell. Yes. And there's a Taco Bell that's living uh, right on this the, this sort of like declension that's like on its winter retention fund, but really it's right by the Taco Bell dumpster. 
<laughs> so it's just like living, it's like living the life. Have you yeah. named him? I have not named any of them. They're just like Groundhog by the Taco Bell. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I should I, I get the feeling they have their own names. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that you think that. Yeah. Uh, man. Yeah. So what? So do you write from nine to five or? No, 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 no. Okay. I've been, so a lot of like, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the Mondays and Wednesdays that I had this, uh, this quarter were just for like teaching. It was just a, okay. especially because it was a, you know, it's a pandemic quarter. So we had a, and I was co-teaching the class. As, and so it was a lot of, a lot of having to communicate, a lot of having to make sure the students were doing okay in, or as, as okay as you could be doing given the circumstances. It was, yeah, it was intense, but you know, what, what hasn't been intense? Right. Yeah, really. Yeah. I was talking with a, another friend who's a professor and he was excited because, you know, it was the, the end of this, end of the school year and, you know, and some kind notes from students and stuff. And then he mentioned that he, you know, hopes that he would meet these people one day. And I kind of stopped and I was like, oh my God, that's right. You've never actually met these students in some cases. It's like unbelievable. It's weird. Uh, One of my, uh, so one of the, I I co-taught this class with like two other professors and one of them had like, I was telling me that she had like this awesome experience where she was at the, uh, oh my gosh, I want to say as a Marianas, but it might have been a Joel Osco, and she uh, ran into one of her one of our students. Oh wow! And they recognized each other even with the, the masks and everything. It was really, Jeez. yeah, nice. I love that in my head. I'm like, I need to know if it was a Marianas or a Joel Osco. I know, like in <laughs> because my head there is too, actually. a big difference. Huge okay. Difference. <laughs> I also like have like a, I'm, I'm kind of blown away a little bit by how like the big difference between like Chicago Jolascos and how like suburban Jolascos because mm-hmm. it's like a whole other world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's like an additional 15 types of home run-ins in suburbs that you can get. I mean, it's <laughs> it's amazing. The, the, the <laughs> it's amazing how much frozen pizza has become a staple in my home. Oh my God. Yes. Because yeah. it's like, I don't, it, you're so tired at the end of the day. I mean, I don't have to explain this. Yeah. But it's like, oh yes, we have a DiGiorno's. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, necessary. We, yeah, we're also running into like a weird sort of the opposite thing here too, where we're like making these these like day long dishes. Just oh my god. We, yeah. So like, we made chicken a chicken pot pie. Oh And it's it was hardcore. Like uh, we made the stock. I made the stock in the morning. Oh. Like, and. Like it calls for like gelatin and, it's, you know, like it's really, but there's this moment, I think like four hours in or five hours in where I was like, I was tasting it and I said, oh my God, this tastes, or it was just the filling. We hadn't gotten to like the, the, crust. Like the crust and I was like, this tastes like exactly like a Marie Callender's uh, <laughs> filling. <laughs> and, it, and I was like so proud of myself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. do you feel like being a teacher like informs your writing in a in a like alex and i talk about this all the time like why some people become teachers and some people don't after you know 
after school or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm sorry. I can hear you there. Yes. 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 Oh, okay. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, I was, no, no, that was uh, also me blanking out a little bit. No, no. I, <laughs> because it's nine o'clock. <laughs> oh yeah. You're on Eastern time. Eastern Whoops. time, but it's also, yeah, it's the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the thing that I'll say is that uh, it really genuinely helps my writing in ways that I, um, that I, I that I, like it's, I'm so lucky and I so love the fact that I get to do this. Uh, and I have like two really short stories that I, that I sort of have helped me explain why that is. Mm. But like the very first one was that when I first got here Chicago, I had been teaching at a college where you basically were teaching four classes every semester. And Northwestern is a research institution, so you don't have to teach four classes per semester, you teach a lot less. Uh, but also it meant that for the first time, I think in years, I had like two and a half months where I didn't have to do anything. Mm. And so I did not do anything. <laughs> um, I realized that I had been writing for like the last the two years before that I was like working on a novel and it was really steady. And then those, those first two months of like free time. Uh, I mean, I like, I ended up watching like a lot of judge shows. And, uh, <laughs> like, you know, I wasn't taking a shower and like, until, like, like right before like Sarah came back from work. So like, like right before my partner came back from work. So it was like, just like to pretend to be a normal human being, right? <laughs> and I realized that like one thing that I kind of take for granted about like uh, the teaching is that it gives me a reason to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but also like really like a reason to like force myself to actually think through about like why I'm doing what I'm doing and why it matters, mm -hmm. right? And then, uh, but then the other thing happened early, like literally during the middle of the pandemic year, which is I was teaching a, a grad class and the entire class, I was like, while well, I was preparing for the class, like, my God, how is anybody going to write anything? Mm. And I ended up sort of going back to like things I would do in the computer lab and other things where I would just set a timer for 20 minutes and just write whatever for, for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And... I sort of designed a whole class around like literally that, like, let's just see what happens if we're just writing in 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes spurts. Uh, but it also was a way to sort of forcibly create a system that I was also following went along with them. And it's the thing that I've been doing now. It's just, I, you know, even if I don't miss if I don't have time, I can always, I have 15 minutes. I can, I can do this for 15 minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember Dan Sean saying something similar when I did an event with him. He was like, sometimes I, I either I don't want to, or I only have 20 minutes, but I force myself to do those 20 minutes. Cause then it's like, at least I did something. I'm still keeping up with it. Yeah. It feels like it's not slipping away. Exactly. It adds up too. Yeah. And it adds up and it's, it's satisfying just to have mm -hmm. it there. Uh, and sometimes it's just like, obviously just the stuff that you need to write to find the thing that you're really trying to get to, but yeah. That's such a good point. I feel like, um, like 
that's something that I myself don't realize sometimes that I'm just doing the writing that's bringing me to the thing that I'm actually driving toward. Yeah. And that can be hard because sometimes that takes like 30,000 words. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So I had this, uh, I did this weird event with uh, Mark Baser, who does that uh, the interview show. It's really mm-hmm. cool. But it was him asking questions and then like a crew from like uh, Second City, like improvising after you answered those questions. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And it was, the question was like, what do you, uh, you know, how do you write? And then the, I answered it. And then like the, like the improv crew was basically, it was an architect showing a house, you know, like a couple, their new house. And then they're like, oh, that looks nice. It's like, no, I'm just going to, this is just a fake house. I'm just going to tear it down and we're going to move the kitchen and we're going to put three bedrooms over here just to see what happens. <laughs> and then we're going to do that 18 more times. Oh my gosh. You know, and I was like, oh yeah, now that like, and then I realized like the answer that either like, yeah, that's kind of, a, that's not a reasonable way of making something, right? But, <laughs> But then I, think, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think any writer has figured out like another. No, I mean, Jamie Attenberg talks all the time. I love following her on social media because she'll just tell you where she's at in her writing process. And so many times she'll say, well, I broke my book again. I broke my book again. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to make it, you know, and, and she just is like dogged and is very real about the work. And, and, <clears throat> and it is, it's like, it's so silly how, <laughs> if you put it that way, it's like that is expensive number one to keep tearing that house down and time consuming and heartbreaking and <laughs> but you know they say like a broken thing heals stronger right like isn't they must say that somebody must say somebody that, says that. Yeah, someone's somebody gonna say that in a that. thing i write tomorrow there and you i'm go. gonna feel real cheesy <laughs> juan thank you so much for joining us it's been awesome talking with you if people want to learn more about your writing pick up a copy of your book what's the best way for them to do that so i have a website and it i just realized uh, but i also have an accent so i'm going to say it and then <laughs> uh, let, uh, i'll try and spell it and then we'll see if that works so it's fulmerford.com it says f u l m e r uh, f o r d dot com perfect yeah awesome. and it's like the same that the tag fulmer for is the same for like the for instagram and for twitter awesome yeah very cool where it's most groundhogs yeah <laughs> <laughs> which Lindsay and i both highly recommend you need to see these groundhogs especially also, by taco bell there's also yeah. sticks it's lots of sticks five-year-old has and yeah. creamer stacking mm-hmm. oh my god i forgot about he has i mean not I mean, not since the pandemic, but I always remember that. It would be like oh, at the yeah. diner, the creamer would get stacked up. He would, it was like one of our favorite things. He's yeah. also like, it would give me like five minutes to check my phone too, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. all we need. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much, oh, Juan. Thank you all for having me. And Absolutely. and I aren't sure if people know that we keep talking after our guests, you oh, know, yes. say goodbye. So yes. I was thinking we should like 
if anyone <laughs> has made it this far, congratulations. Yes, and thank you. And um, if you could just like let's tweet something mysterious, like tweet something mysterious at us, and then everyone will be like, "What are they talking about?" Throw up a fish emoji. Yeah, put a fish emoji. Be like, "Hey, I'm I'm a writer, but," and then just put a fish emoji. Thank you. And then we'll be like, "LOL, retweet," <laughs> just so we can see if people know that there's still someone here. <laughs> Don't turn the lights out. We're Is still there here. Anybody out there? <laughs> How has your week been? It's getting closer and closer to the holidays. Yes. Uh, week has been fine. I guess I, I just, I, you and I were talking before we started recording. I Today, I felt like if I stopped moving, I would fall asleep. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's been good. Um, did you get any work done this week? I did. I got a lot of work done this week, actually. I don't know what got into me, but I like any spare moment I had, I was writing, which was great. But I, w- I went, awesome. you know, like we mentioned this, Still I went to a, like a dark place. And uh, I don't know why I'm surprised because mm-hmm. the book is pretty, the premise of the book is pretty dark. But I think when I, I think I always mm-hmm. do this to myself when I set out to write something, I think, oh, okay. I see this very clearly as if I'm like a Cohen brother. And it's, <laughs> yes, it's dark and it's terrible, but I'm going to write this in a like fun, wry you know, almost poignant way. I'm going to be a Cohen brother. I'm going to be an mm. honorary Cohen brother if it's the death of me. <laughs> and then I find myself in these moments where I'm like, oh, I just feel gross. And this is so dark. And what am I doing? And so I had, I, even as I was like excited and, and my fingers couldn't move fast enough as I was writing, you know, I was thinking like, like, what if my like random aunt reads this, you know? It's funny too, because when I think about your work, I can't, I don't, I'm trying to think of something that would appear where I would be like really shocked. And thank you for saying that. Cause I have such a, like a self-conscious like chip on my shoulder about that. I mean, have you read your stuff? I mean, like nothing, <laughs> like, I mean, it just wouldn't, you could put almost anything in there and I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's a Lindsay story. Yep. Uh-huh. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the worlds you've created in the past have allowed for all sorts of things and they've made sense so i'm not sure yeah well thank you because i you know i guess i just hear like so many people so many people meaning like you know goodreads or like my own father being like why can't you write about puppies and birthday parties (laughs) um (laughs) but you know he doesn't read my stuff anymore i don't even even know what that means what does that mean (laughs) like (laughs) and he wouldn't want to read that no nobody would that's alarming stuff if it exists i'm sure <laughs> i actually did write about puppies and birthday parties in a book i wrote about john wayne gacy so there dad <laughs> oh my Lord. did i say a book i meant a story that i wrote about him <laughs> well you did say a book and i was like i'm a hunter completist and i think you're lying <laughs> but i'm gonna let that stand so well it was let's published. just let it stand okay no it was <laughs> oh a story God. it was not published oh my Lord. what about you did you get some work done yeah, I'm still just on this editing kick. So nothing, nothing, you know, not a bunch of new sentences or anything, but just plugging along. And you're that. sending it in January. Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll see. Yeah, I hope so. I feel, I feel scared. And I, uh, just because, you know, like it's been, 
however long it's been, four plus years, almost five years. And anyone who's worked on something for that long, regardless of what it is, I know that they know that terror when you mm-hmm. feel like you're at the end, even if you're not, I may not be, I'd be at the end. This may all be an illusion, but. Uh, Did this get sent back to you from your agent or is this an edit that you yourself? This is, yeah, it got sent back to me from my agent six months ago. So okay. I'm, I'm working on and edit with uh with her notes and stuff and yeah happy birthday monica yeah happy birthday happy birthday she's Um, the best yeah i'm excited i i i I have good emotions about your book Mm, and i've only heard a little bit of it but i just i'm confident well thanks bud welcome oh you're welcome so can i hear the uh puppies and birthday party story now (laughs) that doesn't exist oh jesus do you want to read i yeah i will read because you know i told you over text i didn't want us to get a divorce so right this yeah i'll read a little bit more from the novel i'm not going to set it up but this is just an introduction of a character that appears maybe 40 pages in or so yay Marcy Lawn was in her boss's office as rarely as possible. She was there now in an all orange outfit, construction orange, her boss had said as she came in, which was wrong. It was a bright tangerine, which is earthier. She was seated and telling him when she'd be taking a vacation, which for her was the equivalent of requesting time off. His was a corner of the studio lot that had preserved the accoutrements of a particularly garish vision of masculine idealism. Midday drinking and wood grain, desperate grim silences and profound one-note simple-mindedness. Marcy had no problem with drinking, heavy even, but this was work. As she spoke to him, her hands folded. She saw the scene as if it was being shot for a movie. The words she spoke came to her without effort, and since she was always rehearsing for future interactions, this back and forth had already existed for her many times over, and could be lived in actuality without her being fully present. I'll be on vacation from the last week of August through Labor Day. I'm leaving LA, headed up into Canada, Nova Scotia. The cabin sits on a cliff overlooking the ocean. From behind his desk, her boss said, Canada, drank his bourbon. The man resembled a mole with a less appealing, very human demeanor. Up into Canada was misleading. It suggested Vancouver. The line she gave her boss was the same she gave the rest of her coworkers. Even after including the follow-up coastal cabin information, Marcy believed she could read in her coworkers' faces a misunderstanding that where she was going was due north to Vancouver. She believed her coworkers lacked the ability to imagine the reality of her Canadian vacation. Her coworkers did not know the country's variants. They knew Vancouver, they knew Toronto, they knew Maple Leafs, the blue and white. They may have heard of bagged milk, ketchup chips. Of course, none of them had been there. There was no need. Americans did not and will not take in Canadian data, much less Californians. Marcy felt, quickly, if her coworkers' comprehension and ability to envision her physical surroundings during her vacation was a concern of hers, and it wasn't, she would have said, I'll be off the coast of Maine. Her chief concern in articulating the vacation to her coworkers was to use the word Canada. She wanted to be clear that she was traveling to another country. 
another country increased psychic distance, and she wanted most of all to increase psychic distance. In place of increasing actual distance, this was necessary. She told her boss as she left his office that next to the cabin, there was a wheat field that grew right to the edge of a cliff. For some reason, this detail, which Marcy had invented, was the one she often repeated to the few co-workers that chose to stay present in the conversation she had caught them in. These words were spoken to listening faces she outranked, nodding chins and concerned mouths, but also these words had been addressed generally towards the refrigerator in the smaller break room, the far end of the mirror in the women's restroom, to dazed early comers hiding on their phones before a meeting. There's a field, tall brushy wheat right next to the cabin. All the pictures I've seen, it's full sun in this field, and it's not safe, but it's true that this field, this wheat, grows right to the edge of the cliff. There's no fence. You're standing in the field looking towards the ocean. You see only these spikes of wheat swaying, waving, and then blue. She'd spent four seconds looking at an exploded view image on her phone, separating wheat into its respective parts to arrive at the word spike. If she felt Canada had registered, but then saw doubt on a coworker's face at the mention of Nova Scotia, she'd reassure the person, say, no, you know, you know, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, you know, East Coast. The other invented detail she'd add about her trip was that she would not be bringing her phone. She'd repeat and combine this lie with Canada in a line she gave everyone that made it this far, foreign country without a phone. Some laughed at foreign, but most did not. If given the chance, she spoke too loudly that the point of the trip was to unplug, forget her work, forget the networks and reminders and messages and notifications and further reminders that made up her days in Los Angeles and take some time to relax, to read. And sometimes she mentioned books she planned on reading or rather authors because she planned on doing so much reading that it was more efficient for her in conversation to mention authors. She'd say Annie Dillard, Dara, Malcolm Lowry, when she mentioned the readings to coworker, the reading to coworkers, the authors, no one asked any follow-up questions or had any problem in appearing to be unfamiliar. Marcy didn't know if this was because no one read anymore or because no one in her office, relatively speaking, had ever read. She herself was not a big reader and had taken the three authors she mentioned from an interview with a filmmaker whose name she'd forgotten. The director had listed favorites. Marcy would say, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm heading up there and I'm not bringing a phone. This statement was untrue in at least three ways. One, Marcy would not be leaving the country. She would not be traveling to Nova Scotia. She was headed to a rental on the other side of town. She wasn't even leaving Los Angeles. Two, she would be bringing a phone, maybe two phones. Three, she cared very much what people thought, most especially her coworkers. The people whom she had given the opportunity to believe she was the person she claimed to be, the kind of person who took solo vacations to Nova Scotia to read, but she was not. No one was. Vacations taken solely to read are not real. Yes. I love it. Thanks. I love um, knowing that a character is not a big reader. <laughs> I don't know. It just Me kind too. of <laughs> like, tells you all you need to know. Do you remember where you were when you first wrote that? No, absolutely not. It's been so long. Well, do you save different drafts? I just save no. over the top of mm -hmm. everything. And so, yeah. And which I think actually might not be as common. I, I feel like some people, you know, will 
separate out some of these drafts, but I just save right over the top and it all becomes one thing. So I have a hard time even distinguishing between drafts unless I receive an edit from somebody. Yeah. I, um, I like, I removed like 10,000 words I, I from a draft from my previous novel that I was working on. Right. And my instinct was just to delete it and move on, mm-hmm. but I saved it into a, a separate document and I have never opened that document again. And not, I'm not saying that's always going to be true, but no, I just, and I think also I've started writing in Google Docs because then I can look mm. at it on my phone if I need to, can access it, you know, anywhere. Right. You can always access any version, but even before, even when I was writing in Word, I would just, I would just let it go. Yeah. I'm a nihilist. Just kidding. I'm probably stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely stupid. So yeah, I'll join you there. Do you have something you want to read, Lindsay? Yeah, I uh, always, I like to read. Oh, such, such a dumb question. No, I just, I mean, if people are curious why we read, I think for me, it's like, I want, I like, I spend so much time alone with this stuff and, and to like talk about it and read it even though it's, you know, it's a draft, it's not finished. It's, I don't know. It just, first of all, I think it's, it's cool to share drafts with people and to share work in progress with people so they can, you know, kind of move along with you. And yeah. Okay. So this is just something short, you know, I've thought this before, but this is a story told by literally lots of different types of things. This is a little bit that I wrote from the perspective of the house. Okay. The house had a part to play. It did its job. It didn't ask for what happened, for what it had to hold, for the echoes it muffled and the wetness it dried. It was just a house, rooms designated for this and that. One of them hadn't pushed the couch all the way into the corner, so it was a spot used for the little one to hide things or hide herself or cry when she got a little older and the house wasn't so big anymore. There was a coin there still, dusty and forgotten, but at one time it had been her special thing, her beloved. The house knew how some things could feel gifted, how they how they suddenly appeared or were suddenly seen, how it could stop one of them in their tracks with wonder. A beam of sunlight angled through the sliding glass doors over and 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 over, day after day after day after day after day after day after day. The child played in it, the big ones stood in it with their hands on their hips looking around or they rushed through it, exploding the dust motes into chaos until they settled, calmed into the beam, twirling and falling. And sometimes there was no one at all in the room, just the house and the light. And then one day the girl noticed it, saw the sunbeam, how it looked triangular or like a blade, how it sliced into the room and was yellow but even more colors once she looked closer and the house could do nothing but offer it the house had no hands to wring no shoulders to straighten no eyes to see no lips to lick the house was just a house imbued with its people and their strangeness their loneliness that they only showed to the house how the mother stared at herself in the mirror and pulled at her face or stood to the side and tried to make herself into a new thing something taller and less slouched something that smiled something that could look at itself without trying to make itself into a new thing something that could endure the mirror and the mirror in the next room and the one in the bathroom and the one by the door and the one in the flip down visor in the car and the one in the reflection of a window and the one inside her that showed something ruined, misshapen, discarded. It was clear to the house that the house the mother lived in had been burned, neglected, left to rot, and here she was planting flowers at its base. The house wanted her to see the sunlight sword her daughter stood in daily now as though it filled her with something. The mother watched the daughter sometimes, and in those moments the mother's house was beautiful, calmed, intact. 
The house understood how one house gave life to another house, and then it slowly sank into the ground. But the house saw how you could stop it. You could fight back. You could thrash alone in your house to the loud music absorbed in the walls, and you could throw all the pillows from your bed, and you could throw something special into the trash and take it to the curb, where it is no longer of the house, and how there is power in that, in a banishment. The mother stood. Every day she stood the way a house does, and she made her own light the way a house does, and the house was just a house for a time. A loveliness when a thing can just be a thing. Does a house feel itself being noticed? Does it know its yellow windows are irresistible? Is it the house's fault for offering itself up so easily, so helplessly? Anyone can open a door. That's not up to a house. Anyone can peer in, snoop around. Anyone can lie and wait. The child in her corner, the boy in the garage, always the house's shame. Its smell, its stains, its darkness. The boy, when did he get in? Had he always been there? Was he like the furnace kicking in day after day over and over, a roomy inhale and then an endless roaring exhale? Was he the mice scurrying inside the walls? Was he the blown fuse easily thrown? Was he the stuck window, the loose floorboard? Was he part of the house? Did the house do that to the mother? Did the house make a mess it couldn't clean up? The house doesn't know. The house can only offer what it has, screams and stains and blood and the mother slowly sinking toward the floor. She had a name. The house used to know it. That's it. Mm. And that's not the nastiness that I was talking about. Okay, Alex, so don't think that it was. I, 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 didn't, <laughs> I didn't say anything. As you were reading, I was thinking I'm so excited to see how these paragraphs are laid out. Because that's one thing I feel like it's, it's, I, I love hearing people read, but a lot of times it's so fun to also have it in front of you and just see, okay, how is this organized? What is the, you know, where, where's like the, the extra little break here? Why is, why is this, this bit of momentum working so well? Is it going to work the same way if I'm just reading it in front of me? And I don't know. I do. I really do worry about that because the way that I write, I write single spaced and really? um, wow. yeah, cause I, I like the, like the, the fastness that it forces. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, when I send it, I try to remember to, you know, make it double space cause I know that's easier for people to read, but it always makes me feel like, no, that's not what it looks like. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I do, I do wonder about that. I do think about that. That's not up to a house. That was that was awesome. That, <laughs> there's a nice that one really jumped out. I like that. Yay. Cool. Well, I mean, happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. Happy holidays. We, <laughs> 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 you know what? We forgot to ask Juan for a prompt. Should we just make one up? Yeah. What's do you have a go-to prompt? Oh my God, I don't. I I got to be honest. I. I was allergic to that for a long time because I was like, Oh no, I'll just make up my own shit and Mm -hmm. whatever. But the, I think the very first thing I ever had published was a result of a prompt. And then I was like, Oh my God, this can work. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have a go-to one, but I can definitely lie and make something up. If you give me four seconds here. I have a simple one. Do it. I mean, just do 500 words. That's it. You have to write 500 words in one sitting. That's mm. it. That's what that I do. Is, that is pretty simple. I like that. That's my prompt. I, I, I love working with constraints and any workshop I teach is all about using constraints to like 
trick yourself into writing? Because I think people can start to get um, worried about block or like not having a good idea or like, is this anything? And it's like, no, just write. Mm. Because then you'll have something to work with. You'll tell yourself a story that you'll have to work with. I guess, yeah, I guess I do. My like internal prompt that I always have in my head is, especially with a first draft of something, is no notes. That is my big belief. No notes. Like a comment to yourself, you mean? Like In the manuscript? What I mean is like, I try and just... And like not care, you know, like not make notes during the day, like not like when I am sitting down to write, that's what I'm doing. But mm-hmm. I'm not, even if I'm thinking about it, I'm not, you know, like writing this brilliant sentence that I thought up while I'm making a sandwich or something. It's, it's just go into it, like charged up, ready to go. Don't be referring to some kind of scribbles that you have. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of times I can deaden the sentences because you're trying to patchwork something together from some kind of, you know, emotion or feeling you had during the day when it's a lot of times completely unrelated to the sentences that you already have down. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I'm a big believer in that for, for early drafts and, you know, for, for some people that does not work at all. Some people that that's like anathema to the way that they go about writing, but it's, it's a big, um, it's a big help to me to just constrain the actual writing to when I am writing. Mm-hmm. No, I totally feel that. I have like comments all throughout my manuscript and I go back and read them and I'm like, no, <laughs> right. Right. Ugh, no. <laughs> Cause it's like right. a, yeah, I don't know. I do a lot of writing in my head. I will say, cause right. um, sure. like it helps me work through some things, but then yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think I do the notes thing either. I think it's honestly just an outgrowth of, I was so, I'm so, this is me being an asshole, but when I see people like on the, when have I been on the train recently? When I used to live in the city and see people like scribbling in a journal on the train or something, I would be like, give me a fucking break. That would be like, (laughs) like, I I, I just like, I just, I don't know. Like the, I, I always think sometimes sometimes the appearance of being a writer can be so distracting from actually writing. And so I just try and be a person when I'm, when I'm out in my day-to-day life and then do my writing when I'm writing. But these are my problems. I, well, I mean, you know, we all have, we all have our thing, right. But I think you can't help but be a person when you're out in the world. And I think those people with their journals, like. I'll keep the journals. I'm just being a dick. I'm just saying, I think they're like, my boss has the worst breath. <laughs> you know, like. Oh, it's just like puppies and birthday parties. Oh, I think you're right. It's just puppies and birthday parties. That's where we went wrong. How scary would that be if you looked over at the guy next to you on the train and he's just writing puppies, birthday parties? Mm. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, I get it. Dude, you are fucked. <laughs> on that note. Oh, my God. On that note. Night, night. Uh, night. See you guys next time. Thank you for listening. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. <laughs> <laughs>